expresses his love for his wife by quoting a list of her physical features as if reading the information from her driver's license. You are five foot tall, five foot, uh, five foot four inches tall. You weigh 120 pounds. You were born in January. You have brown hair and brown eyes, and you live on East Maple Street. Now, I purposely picked another woman so that you wouldn't make fun of me. However, you really will, because what he should have said was, you walk in beauty like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies, and all that is best of dark and night meet in the aspect of your eyes. The romantically challenged husband of the first example needed to learn, though he was accurate in his description, he needed to learn that love goes deeper. And talk about the magnitude and the beauty of that wife on their anniversary. Love is a mysterious and beautiful relationship between two people. And that's why poetry is often used to express those innermost feelings when you talk about each other. I mention the use of poetry because it's the same idea that Jesus uses and encapsulates in John chapter 8. He doesn't necessarily use poetry, but he proclaims information that is explosive. It's emotional. It's transformational. It's the concept of truth, the concept of sin, and the freedom that we receive because because of our relationship with Christ. We uh, have a hint of of these subjects in our verses we just read, and they are massive in their theological concept, illustrated in the discussion that describes the difference between a son and a slave. Jesus is proclaiming freedom, not for uh, from individual sins or a specific act of disobedience, but He's offering freedom from the nature or condition that enslaves all people. The truth to which Jesus refers is more than the factual correctness that will dominate much of Western Christianity. Because we can quote verses about evangelism, about prayer, about compassion, yet we rarely seek to extend compassion prayerfully, bringing the gospel to those who truly live in darkness. It's easier to witness to those who aren't truly suffering who aren't truly in pain, than it is sometimes to take the gospel right in there. John 3.16 is a great place. I'm grateful for their ministry. But how many of us will go down and spend time ministering to them on the street corner? I've read of churches in the inner cities of New York and Chicago and Philadelphia where they have to, on Sunday morning, the preacher has to come early to get the drunks off the front porch where they've been puking and urinating during the nighttime before the church people come and they have to wash off the smell every Sunday because it's probably the safest and driest place for those folks to get in of an evening. How about if that was here in Jinx? How about if we had every Sunday we had to come and make sure that we had the front area cleaned off and swept off and washed off enough for you to come in without smelling something that would be offensive? Or seeing something that would be offensive. Can we take the love of Christ into that culture? Into that type of, of, of place? The freedom that Jesus is offering is not a political system. 
Thank God. It's a release from the chains that enslave one's soul. We saw this week without any question at all how inept government is. Dianne Feinstein, California, Senator. She received uh, 15,000 emails. And 90, no, 87% of those said, do not vote for the stimulus pack or this package thing, this bailout. Her response was, if she voted yes, was, well, those people just absolutely don't understand what this bill's all about. Which means to me that she has no idea what's going on. You see, we get arrogant and we get self-grandizing self because we think we know. And that happens in our spiritual walk, doesn't it, fellas? It does, doesn't it? It does in our spiritual walk. We get to believe and we've got it all together. We don't have to read the Bible. What are you reading the Bible? What are you going to read the Bible for, preacher? I've already read, I've read it a couple of times. I've got all the stories. I've got it down. Do you really? Is this affecting your life? Are you, any, are you different? Is your behavior any different than it normally is? You see, it's, it's difficult when we watch others, don't we, isn't it? It's difficult to watch them and to see that maybe this isn't being lived out the way it should. But we need to do a better job at that. Jesus makes one of the most amazing, inspirational claims in history when he says to consider for a moment the incredible hope that he expresses in the promise that Jesus can set people free. That's an incredible, incredible claim. Unless you've lived in a sheltered uh, shelter or, or live a sheltered life, you've probably experienced an enslaved soul or have known loved ones who struggle to break free from ungodly chains. And those chains can have a lot of different identities. It could be immoral. It could be drug addiction. Or it could be one that's a little more accepted. Like fear, like greed, like poverty, worldliness, doubt, anger, bitterness, legalism, racism, insecurity, despair, and depression. Doesn't matter what the category is. Doesn't matter what the list is. The slavery is real. The result is the same. A failure to experience the abundant life promised by following Christ puts us in bondage. And Jesus offers freedom. The freedom offered by Jesus is spiritual. His freedom is not political. True freedom is not about changing your outward circumstances. It is significant in the concept because it reveals that Jesus can free you wherever you find yourself. For instance, Paul was on the road to Damascus persecuting Christians. The prodigal son was in a pig pen. Peter was in a boat fishing. One woman who he freed was drawing water from a well. Another woman that he uh, that found freedom, he found her and caught her in adultery. A thief was on a cross next to him when Jesus set his soul free. Spiritual freedom is not dependent upon physical circumstances that may have led or contributed to that bondage. He can set us free from our marriage without causing a divorce, a, a divorce. He can set you free when you're overdrawn in your checkbook without making a deposit. Jesus can set you free from past or current failures without loading a U-Haul truck. Don't misunderstand when I say uh, something like this. We need to make 
Christ and lead uh, and let him lead us and to make some physical or circumstantial changes. Sometimes we have to do that. But one of the main truths of divine freedom is that Jesus is more concerned about setting our soul free than defeating the Roman Empire. Or some other external, external force in our life. He may just calm us and let the storm rage on. But that's what relationship with Him means. Truthful freedom is also purposeful. Jesus describes the freedom He offers resulting from abiding in His truth. What does it mean to abide? Freedom is not a lack of restraint that allows you to fully go after any selfish desire that's out there. That's like our government. They believe if you need money, we'll just make more. And yet you and I try to do that and they put us in prison. Yeah. Well, how many of you have small businesses that you would like to have a bailout on? Some of your bills that you've got going on. Well, I'll guarantee you they're not going to bail you out. They'll let you go under. Uh, Corey called me this week and said, Dad, Wells Fargo just bought out uh, Wachovia. The only problem is they had an agreement with Citibank to let them buy them out. But, walk, but Wells Fargo was going to buy them out without government intervention. Hey, hallelujah, let the free market work, right? Ah, Citibank said, no, I have an exclusive. We're only buying the banking part. FDIC, federal government, they're buying the rest of it. Hello, we are. And giving it to Citibank. Well, I love it, don't you? And I know what you're saying. Preacher, get off of that stuff. I just want you to understand, we're all in bondage. Just pick the blank. Just fill it in. It can be financial. It can be any way. But God can change that. God can change that in a heartbeat. And it doesn't really depend on where we are. But it does have purpose. Living a life, abiding in Christ, we're released from the chains of the world and we're released to be all that God created us to be. Like a fish has been created to swim in water, we're created to live in truth, in the truth of Christ's love. Consider, if you would, playing a, a, a piano. When Phyllis sits down at the keyboard, man, it's obvious she knows what she's doing. If I sat down at that piano and tried to play, it would be real obvious that I have no idea what I'm doing. I couldn't give one no, I can't, they're all They're not named. Those keys aren't named. Have you noticed that? There's some black ones and some white ones, but none of them, I can't tell you what's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, S, blah, blah, blah. I can't tell you. And boy, but I'm telling you, you get her rolling and going on one of them songs, those hands are just going all over that thing, and we're over here going like this, yeah, because she knows what she's doing. I can sit down there and you'll be going like this, but it's more out of ay, 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 ay. So it's something special when a skilled musician is free to play the instrument as it was designed. So God, when we give Him freedom to work in us and through us in every possible way, great things can happen. But even though Jesus clearly declared freedom and that it was possible, the sad reality is that very few experience that true freedom. I want to try to give you several perils or roadblocks Certainly not exhaustive, but just a few that I picked up from this text that I want to share with you this morning. The first peril is ignorance. Is ignorance. 
Jesus is declaring new truth. Look in your, look in your Bible there. When He says, they are living in darkness. Living in darkness. Because people refuse to come out of darkness, Jesus can't bring the light there. But He wants to. He wants to bring the light. You ever known somebody that was struggling and really struggling? And you give them the right answer, they go, wow, that's super, but they don't make the changes. They won't make the changes. Our coaches see it all the time. They coach these young men how to play, young women how to play. And these young men and women think, hey, I'm 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. What are you telling me? I know how to play this game. I can do it right now. Who are you? I'm the star. You're not playing. You're an old has-been because you're a coach. What do you know? And most of them don't understand when the coach won't play them, why they can't play. After all, they're the star athlete. Just put me on the field. I'll show you everything I got. They put them on the field, and what do they do? Screw up. I didn't say it, but somebody did. Hallelujah. Screw up. They do. Then they come off, and the coach goes, I tried to tell you, didn't I? You just wouldn't listen to me, would you? Ask Jeff Parman. He's a new head coach now. He's head coach of his little league football team. Yesterday, they got killed. He went over and over and over the very play that the one team was going to use to kill him. And what did that team do? Ran that play. And what did they do? Killed him. Jeff was on the sideline, veins popping out of his neck. And those kids are going, yeah. Yep. That's kind of like the way Sepulpa looked Friday night. The coaches, the coaches from... From, from, you can see it in the face of the coaches when they go, I, whatever we tell you, they're not doing it. They're not, they, they can't get it. And coaches, they just want to quit and say, fine, play it yourself and walk away. Nope, they got to sit there and face the music too. Whenever union beats jinx, it's tough on our coaches. People put burning crosses in their yard. They'll drive by and put for sale signs out there, you know, get rid of you. Man. Ignorance. The first peril is ignorance. The second one is arrogance. The Pharisees' statement in our text that they had never lived as slaves. Well, isn't quite accurate. It's more arrogance. Israel had experienced slavery under the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, and right now when they are speaking, they're under Roman Empire rule. But their greatest slavery was to their own sin. They were unwilling to admit that they had failed to meet God's standard. They lived by a legalistic code and arrogantly rejected the offer of God's amazing grace. Time after time after time. How many Christians do you know who are so arrogant that they believe they've made it? They've arrived. I've met a number of Christians that way. That they believe they've got it all together. They don't need Sunday school. They don't need Wednesday night. They don't need Sunday night Bible study. Like Sunday morning, that's all, I, that's all I can give you, bro. That's all I can give you. It ain't about giving me anything. It's about giving God something. Amen? It's all about giving God something. Do you have time every day to talk to Him? Do you have, every time, do you have time to even encounter His Word? If you'll encounter His Word through prayer and through Bible study, you'll share your faith with others. You'll fellowship with believers, I'll guarantee you your life's going to grow in Christ. You've got to give out. 
Our young people have so much opportunity to give, give away their faith. But, but you can be scared to do it because they're outnumbered 10 to 1. They're outnumbered. But aren't you adults outnumbered? I've got all these names hanging on the board of people who've moved into Jinx. I've got two months worth hanging back there. We need to get those doors knocked on. Hey, 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 come to church, come to church. We need to do that. But it takes courage. And so I pray that God will bring courage into your life. The third peril is that of reluctance. Reluctance. They, and that reluctance prevented some from responding to Christ's offer for freedom. Look at verse 30. In that context of that verse, some had placed their faith in Christ, while others believed that Jesus was preaching but had not taken the next step, placing their faith in Him. That's, that's the context of what's being shared there. And this, this group wasn't ignorant. They were not arrogant because they recognized a, a need for Christ, but they were just unwilling, unwilling to surrender. You ever met anybody like that? They just don't want to surrender. They won't give in. I can't let Christ have control of my life. That means I can't have fun anymore. That's right. When you become a Christian, every fun thing that you've ever done is gone. You no longer have fun anymore. You can't smile. You can't laugh. You can't do any of that. Because when you're a Christian, you have to just be sourpuss all the time. If somebody shares a joke, you can't laugh. Oh, really? Man, open your eyes and just look at people. How funny they are. Aren't they funny? I don't go to the fair anymore because all I want to do there is eat. There's no reason to go to the fair if you don't eat, is there? Why ride rides? Forget it. I want to eat. Gosh, there's booth after booth. Ooh, we got the Italian sausage. Oh, glory. And then I saw that turkey leg. That guy thing as big as... Look like a baseball bat. I said, glory. I walked by and smelled them onions and peppers and they're putting it on, on, a, on a hot dog. I said, glory. Oh, man, my cholesterol said, mm-mm. I felt my, my arteries were closing up even as I was eating some of that. So I can't do it anymore, but man. So there's no reason to go, right? But I love to sit and get some of that and just watch people because they're so funny. Especially if they're getting drunk. They're funny when they're drunk. Walk into stuff. Hey, well, I'll tell you what. You know, I love it. It's fun just to throw something at them. They don't know what hit them. Hey, well, well. They'll start fighting the wind. They don't know. Now tell me that ain't funny. That is. Just watch them. Just watch them. And people that are trying to be something they're not. Oh, mercy. You know, I encourage you when you introduce me to your friends, don't be real quick to tell them that I'm your pastor. Let's see how the conversation flows. And you'll know the right time to tell them that I'm your pastor. You'll know. And it'll be fun to watch their face. Man, it's great. It's great. Because they immediately become St. Francis of Assisi. Oh, well, glory. Boy, I'm a, I love to read the Bible. Love it. I love it. You know the line. Because of it says bitter water and fresh water can't flow from the same fountain. In other words, oh be careful, little tongue, what you say. So if we're gonna be one, we got to be one, amen. In all of our gestures. See, and I'm I'm learning, boy, I'm getting better all the time about driving. I am, I am getting better. I am. I am. I don't I, I grin a lot at them. 
I, you know, I wave. And not like from Arkansas, but I wave, you know. Some of you know what that means. Fourth peril that's in our text is complacence. You've got ignorance, you've got arrogance, you've got reluctance, and then you've got complacence. Because contained within these verses is an exhortation to be free indeed, experience complete freedom. It's an exhortation that seems to stand in contrast to those who would accept marginal freedom. A little bit of freedom was acceptable instead of trusting Christ for abundant freedom. Our young people experience it every year at CIY. It happens every year. Because they will go to CIY, they will get away from the peer structure, they'll get away from the normal structure, and God will hit them. I mean, He hits them good. Sermons that are preached, the music that's done, and as the week wears on by Friday, boy, I mean, God has their heart. And there's tears that flow, and there's commitments that are made. And they get back here to the world, and the world says, "Uh uh-uh. Their friends didn't experience that, and so their friends began to say, well, what are you? KC Christian? Goody two-shoes? Too good to hang out with us now? Hmm? Hmm? And so there's a struggle to, to stand and walk with Christ or just to give in and go with the flow. And so my prayer for all of them is that they will one day stand up and be lights and beacons in a dark world. I tell you, I read an article about Cassie Burnell, uh, Barnell. Cassie Burnell was one of the girls that was shot to death at Columbine High School. All that uh, Klebold said to her was, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? She looked up at him and she said, yes, I do. Boom, he shot her dead right there. In an instant, in an instant, she could have said, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, no, 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 no. But she didn't even hesitate. She didn't even flinch. She said, yes, I do. The, th- the most incredible part about that story is that two weeks before she was killed, dead on the spot in Columbine High School, she was at a youth retreat and she had been running from God. But God got her at that retreat and boy, I'm glad He did, aren't you? Because the Bible says that she was martyred for Christ. She went straight to the throne room of God. Woo! Hallelujah. I hope that our young people are strong enough to stand up to that. What about when they get off to college and they get around those goofy, tenured professors? They're dumber than bricks. They are. They've got so many fuds after their name, they've lost reality. I don't care if if you've got a Ph.D., that's what it is. You're just a fud. That's all you are. And most of them want to be called doctor. Well, I'm doctor so-and-so. Well, as soon as you do something that's worthwhile, we'll call you doctor. Come find Jesus. So you have a, have a courage to stand. What are they going to do? Kill you? Hallelujah. If you're killed for the sake of Christ, the book of Revelation teaches you go right to the throne room of God. You don't even pass, go, or collect $200. You go right to the throne room of God. Can you stand? Are you ready to stand? Do we want to stand? Or are we just complacent? I read a story about a guy that took his four-year-old daughter to Chuck E. Cheese. On previous visits, she had only won a few tickets, and so she could only get stuff off the bottom shelf. But this particular time, she hit the jackpot. And boy, the tickets came out. And walking over, she had her fist full of tickets, and walking over to the prize area, she said, Dad, 
I don't have to get them off the bottom shelf. I can get off the top shelf where the good prizes are. And that's what's wrong with you and me, is that we tend to live our faith on the bottom shelf. Christ has called us to freedom. He's called us to live a life worthy of the calling that He's called us to. How's that working for you? What do you think about it? Are you making any difference? Jesus identifies a process in our text, experiencing true freedom with the words, if then, if then. It's a process that should not be confused with a legalistic formula. He doesn't say, if you have a daily quiet time with me for 30 minutes of prayer, if you tithe faithfully, if you only miss Sunday school twice a year, then you will be free. He doesn't say that. While Jesus does not prescribe a formula, His words reveal a way in which things operate in His kingdom. You are free, for example, to watch the sunrise every morning. The only problem is... You have to get up early enough and you have to face the east. If you don't see, if you don't see daylight till 10 o'clock and you're looking west, you'll miss the sun, sunrise. You've got to hang on for the sunsets. Our kids were out in California this summer. I, hopefully they got to see a sunset on the ocean. You can hear the, you, when the sun goes down, you can hear the water go. <laughs> Just listen, you can. You can hear it when it hits the, when it hits the ocean, it goes. It's awesome. Well, at least that was my experience. How about a sunrise? In the Colorado Rockies, church camp. I got up one Sunday morning, and our church camp sits on the side of a mountain, and it's, there's a valley down below us, and the clouds had set in overnight down in the valley, and I was up at a point where I could see over the top of the clouds, and the whole valley was full of clouds. You're talking about an awesome sight. And that cool breeze blowing on you in the Colorado, 10,000 feet in the air. How? Oh. Put your hand in the water and <laughs> it's ice water. We lost the ability to uh, have showers at our camp one summer because the water line broke. They said, well, everybody go down to the creek. Mm, there weren't many showers that week, folks. <laughs> I, I ventured in on Friday just because I couldn't take the smell anymore. My whole life flashed before me as soon as I stepped in that water. And it's in the middle of the summer in July. Oof. If then. If then. The little word if is a big concept in the kingdom of God. That word represents an invitation. True freedom will not attack you. Rather, you must respond to God's invitation to accept His complete freedom. And as we have already discussed, most do not accept God's offer. Jesus reveals the expectation to abide two concepts. Let me give them to you. First, abiding refers to perseverance. In verse 31, uh, if, you, if, you, if you go through a casual glance at the claims of Christ, uh, you, you've got to be willing to dwell in the Word of God. It's not a 30-day trial of faith. Jesus is not talking about a 12-week Bible study. He offers freedom to those who abide in His Word. You've got to live there. You've got to have it all over you. The second concept of abiding is place or location. Jesus declares that true freedom is found in my Word. 
Freedom is not found in self-help programs, legalistic religion, the teaching of Buddha or Muhammad. Freedom is not found in the top, uh, top pop psychologies of Dr. Phil or Oprah or through selfish indulgence of unrestrained sin. True and complete freedom is only found in Christ. Most of us have experienced the crunch of high gasoline prices. And you know the prices are high when a teenage daughter will prefer to ride with her mom and dad because the price of gasoline is so expensive. And she doesn't want to use her money to put gas in that vehicle. They'll prefer to stay with mom and dad. You know there's issues going on. But if the government said, hey, Phillips, we're going to drill in your backyard, I would say, hey, come on. I don't think they're going to hit oil there. They'll probably hit water. That's what Jinx has a lot of it in this part of the Jinx anyway. But if they say, hey, Phillips, we're going to give you a piece of the property down in Texas, chances are I might have oil under that land or Alaska or Saudi Arabia. You see, they need to drill for oil where oil is rich. And you and I need to drill for faith where it's rich. And where is it rich? Right here and in the Word of God. It's in God's Word. And there's a great reservoir, a big, big reservoir that you can draw from. So I ask you this morning, where are you going to deposit your truth? Are you going to put it in yourself? Are you going to put it in circumstances? Or are you going to put it where it, de- where it deserves to be in the deep, rich Word of God? Father, I ask you this morning to work through the lives of your people here, through your children here. And, Father, would you do a mighty work in each of of them and in each of us. And, Father, would you provide in each of us a desire, a desire to grow deeper in you. Father, we live in a world that is so tempting. Satan has created so many temptations around us. Our young people are bombarded every day, more times than once a day, to just give it all up and to go the way of the world. I'm so proud of them for taking stands and saying, no, 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 when it appears that everybody around them is saying, yes, yes, yes. God, for the adults, the parents of these young people, would you give them strength and courage to stand alongside their young person, to reassure them that when you stand for Christ, you never lose. And they might say, but Dad, but Mom, everybody around me is making fun of me. Oh God, would you give that family courage to stand on your word and not compromise and not give in and not cave in. Great dividends are waiting for those who will stand firm on your word. God, there might be an adult here today that just needs a special touch from your spirit. A reassurance of your love for them and that you care for them. God, would people who are in bondage truly seek freedom today? Oh, they may have been to the watery grave of baptism, but every day past that, they have struggled in life because the lure of the world has been great against them. They've made some tremendous mistakes and bad decisions. But the promise of Scripture is that you will return instantly and restore instantly what the locusts have eaten away. So God, if there's somebody here that just needs some restoration, 
would you move in them to make that decision today? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.